Uh, we are moving through the book of Exodus, so would you turn in your Bibles or open up your device to the book of Exodus? We're in chapter 3, the burning bush, the famous story of the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, and we are going to pick up the account in verse 1. Father, as people are turning now to the Word of God, thank you that it is alive and powerful. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that you've provided your word, 66 books inspired by God, profitable for your people. And today, Lord, whatever you want to say to us, your church is listening. Give us the ears of servants. Give us the heart to walk out what you tell us to do. And give us the grace to do it, Lord. And we know we have the power of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for that. We don't have to do it alone and I pray that no matter where every heart may be today, you know every heart, would you minister through your word as we know you will. We give you the glory and we ask that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Exodus 3, 1, the burning bush. Now Moses, whose name means to draw out or to draw out of the water, was pastoring or tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Jethro was the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, as we saw in the previous study we did in the book of Exodus, we have another big chunk of time that has gone by, really another 40 years in the life of Moses. So Moses is a much older man now, and he's been in Midian for 40 years. He has settled there. He has become a shepherd, and he is leading another man's flock, which is interesting because in shepherding, this would be preparation for Moses' own ministry. He would have to shepherd the people of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's shepherd sheep imagery all throughout the Bible. And we are the little sheep. And I want to welcome all uh, the kids in our service today. Kids, just raise up your hand if you're a kid so we can know where you are. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And... Uh, you know, we are God's flock, and we are to follow our shepherd. And so Moses has become a shepherd, and he is shepherding the flock of Jethro, which is another name uh, given to him. That we, we saw a different name in the previous chapter, but it's Raul, friend of God. And Jethro means something like royalty or... Um, it has the idea that he may have been the chief priest. It has the idea of excellency. And it interests me that Moses is shepherding the flock of one who was probably the chief priest in Midian, or maybe even considered the high priest. And talk about preparation for Moses' life, because he was going to have to learn how to shepherd someone else's flock, namely the chief priest or the most high God. And this was training for Moses. And, you know, life is filled with training opportunities. And God may have you right now as a stay-at-home mom, or you may be in a small company or a big company or wherever you find yourself. And all of that can be training for what God has for you. Moses spent a lot of years there. Very little commentary on his time there in Midian. But he has become a shepherd Genesis 46, 34, Genesis, uh, Joseph is speaking to his family, 
And he says, your servants have become keepers of livestock from our youth, say this to Pharaoh, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians, Genesis 46, 34. Moses has become what Egypt loathes. Isn't that interesting? And Egypt is a type of the world. And once you become a follower of Christ, sometimes you feel like your friends don't appreciate you anymore. Amen? Sometimes you come into a certain setting and they say, oh, there's the Christian boy or girl. There's Holy Joe or Holy Emma or whatever, right? And maybe you feel like you're a little bit of an outcast. Because when you become a Christian, sometimes the world doesn't really appreciate that. And you may experience a little bit of mockery or even a little bit of difficulty. Moses had become what the Egyptians loathed. And let me ask you, are you okay with that? Are you okay if the world doesn't think highly of you because you want to follow Christ? Well, Hebrews 11, thank you for that. <laughs> 25 through 27 says that Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And so Moses has become a shepherd. This is really the uh, term that's given for pastors and really for any leader that leads the people of God. We are to shepherd God's people. Acts 20.28 20, says, Shepherd the, the flock among whom which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. After Peter fell and was restored by the Lord, the Lord said to Peter, do you love me? Three times. Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said, take care of my sheep. Tend my people. As Christians, whether you're a pastor or not, we all are shepherding in one way or another. And one of the things that we need to do is take care of one another in this world. Amen? We need to love one another. In fact, the Lord calls us to be one as he, amazingly, and the Father are one. And sometimes, you know, right there is where we fail in our love one for another, in following our shepherd together. We know that sometimes sheep can be silly, and they can bite one another, and they're not always really cooperative, amen? <laughs> and we're compared to sheep in the Bible. We have to understand that. Sometimes uh, we can be our own worst enemies. But Jesus, the good shepherd, tells us to follow him. And shepherds were something that God used all throughout the Bible. 2 Samuel 7, 8 says, Therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, 2 Samuel 7, 8, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And so Moses now leading the flock, take a look at verse 1 again. He leads them to the west side of the wilderness. There's a little bit of debate about the geography here, but what we do know is that Moses has led the sheep a long distance away from Midian. 
probably because the grass had dried up or had been consumed in the immediate area where he would normally uh, feed the sheep. So he had to look for some of the highlands on the west side, and he moved toward the mountain of God. The ground was bare or dried up, if you will. And sometimes in dry places in life, God gets us to the point where we need to be. This last year has been a wilderness for all of us. It's been a very strange time, a time when people are wearing masks in stores and kids are not in school and there's a a lot of stuff going on emotionally with people's health that doesn't get a lot of coverage. And people are having a hard time. And this is why the church needs to be open and inviting people to the hope that we find in Christ. And that's why I'm glad that you're here. And in the dry places of life, sometimes that's where we, when we end up where we're supposed to be. When things are not going well, when you know, maybe the crops aren't what we would normally expect, maybe the paycheck isn't, and maybe it drives you to a place where you can meet God afresh. The word wilderness is an interesting word. In Hebrew, it's the word midbar, and it speaks of a wilderness or pasture, but it also is the place of the word. Midbar, wilderness, M-I-D-B-A-R, is the place of the word. And it's where holy men meet God. In wilderness places, in dry, difficult spaces, if you will, God speaks to us. And maybe we hear his voice more clearly because we're not distracted. Think of the idea of the wilderness, a desolate place. No distractions. When the whole COVID thing hit, we had a lot of our distractions removed. And some of us were belly aching about it. And I understand that because I was one of them. Mostly about sports and the fact that I couldn't watch all the games that I wanted to watch. But when the things are stripped away, when the grass is a little bare in the normal places that you might be investing your time, God can speak to you. The wilderness is the place of the word. It's where holy men and women go to be shaped by God. And Moses is now led to this life-changing moment in the wilderness. He comes to that mountain of God. Another name for the mountain of God, Horeb, literally means desolate place, and it ties to the idea of the wilderness. But an alternate name for Horeb is Sinai. And this is where Moses has now come. Some believe that this mountain is called Jabal Musa in modern times. But whatever the location may be, Moses' preparation is almost complete. God has led him through the dryness to the place where he can meet God. And the angel of the Lord, Exodus 3, 2, literally the messenger, Malach of Yahweh, appeared to him, to Moses, in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Now Moses, having moved the the, uh, flock toward this place, all of a sudden, the unexpected appearance, a supernatural encounter of God. Throughout the book of Exodus, we have seen God's hand, even in the loving uh, movements of Yoshebed, laying Moses in that ark on the Nile River, but we haven't had an overt experience that we would say is 
clearly supernatural yet in the book of Exodus, but now we are going to have it. And this mysterious being, the angel of the Lord, literally the messenger, angel means messenger in Greek and Hebrew, of Yahweh appears. And oftentimes when this uh, mysterious uh, personage appears in the Bible, he is directly associated with God himself. In fact, many reputable scholars believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus before he's born in Bethlehem. And the reason that we could say that is because Jesus is God. He's eternal God. Before Abraham was, Jesus was there. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. He is eternal. All things were made through him and by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator. And it may well be that this is a pre-incarnate, before Bethlehem appearance of the Lord in the bush. And you say, why does he appear in a bush? (laughs) Well, because Moses would be used to seeing these bushes. And in fact, it may well be that Moses had used one of these before to light a fire to stay warm and have light in the wilderness. These bushes, the word for bush, has the idea of a little thorny, uh, maybe just four or five, six foot high bush. It's not a big tree from the original Hebrew. It's a little bush. And if Moses would have seen a bush on fire, let's say the heat of the wilderness causing a flame, what would happen quickly to a bush that burns? It would be consumed. But Moses looked at the bush and it was burning and he watched it, but it was not consumed. And it's been said that the Lord will appear to different people at different times in the way that we need to experience him. To Abraham in Genesis 18, he appears as a traveler. In Joshua chapter 5, when Joshua is getting ready to take the promised land and he must take the impenetrable walls of Jericho, the Lord appears as the captain of the Lord of hosts. And here he appears in the midst of a bush. They say that these bushes can have thorns on the trunks of them and a little bit of debate whether it's a blackberry bush or something else. But the bottom line is that Moses had experienced this before and a bush or a tree in the Bible often speaks of a people group. People, nations, and individuals are often compared to trees that either are doing well, you'll know them by their fruit, etc., And the bush represents Israel. Israel is in the fire of persecution. They've been going through it for hundreds of years. The taskmaster, the terrible plan of the Pharaoh to throw the Hebrew male children into the Nile River to oppress and destroy God's people, and God has seen it. And the message is that I have entered into the fire with my people. I am in their midst. I know their pain. I know they're burning with affliction. I know they have difficulty. But I am right in the middle of the fire with them. The gospel tells us that Jesus Christ enters into our pain. He enters into the fallen world, becomes that baby in Bethlehem, lives a perfect life that I could never live, dies on the cross In my place. And this is a message to Moses that I know my people's pain and I'm right in the middle of the fire. And I will say to you, God knows your pain as well. 
He knows your highs and lows. He knows when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling the heat of the fire. And just like, remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when that fourth personage appears in the fire and he's, according to VeggieTales, real shiny? Come on. Hey, boss, we see a fourth one in the fire, right? Well, in our fires... The Lord doesn't always remove us from the fire, but he's with us in the fire. And I might have a few questions if I were Moses, like, why didn't you deliver the people 40 years ago when I tried to intervene and killed the Egyptian and broke up the fight with the two Hebrews? Why did I have to flee from Egypt? Like a a person who was under a death sentence. Why now? And this is something that we wrestle with. Lord, if you know people's pain, then why didn't you show up years ago? These are natural questions that I don't think we should try to avoid. Where were you when this happened and that happened? And I would submit to you the Lord was still right there in the fire. But he decides to work in his own time for his own purposes. And I need to be on board with his plan and trust him. Amen? And I will tell you, just like everybody else sitting here or watching via live stream, I don't always understand what God is doing. I don't understand God's divine delays. I don't understand why he says wait. But I know he's working out a plan, and I know he was doing something in Moses' life And to prepare the people of Israel. And no, I don't get every layer of it, but I know that God even uses the fire to make our faith more precious than gold. And those are not necessarily the Bible verses that we all put on our refrigerator. I'm gonna go through the fire today for the Lord that he might stretch my faith. Can I get a witness? Pour the coffee, honey. I know. But those verses are there. And they even tell us to rejoice in our trials Knowing that the testing of our faith produces, what? What is it? Endurance. But trials are tough. The fire is hot. But God is there. And the angel of the Lord appears in the midst of the bush. And Moses looked. Sometimes things have to happen to get our attention. Amen? The bush made Moses look. It doesn't say here the angel of the Lord's presence, although the fire represents him, was a manifestation of him. But Moses, it was the bush that got his attention. And I don't know how distracted Moses was, but he was taking care of a flock. He had business to take care of, and we all have our stuff, right? We have things to do, people to see, freeway, traffic to fight, you know, whatever you're doing these days. Life can get busy. We get distracted. And the angel of the Lord appears. One writer says, you could better translate this, the angel that is Yahweh. I'll let you chew on that. But Exodus 3 may be the strongest identifying of the angel of the Lord as the Lord himself, as you'll see. This is a manifestation of God visible to the human eye, the angel of the Lord, whether it is anthropomorphic, that just simply means whether it's like a human form, like Genesis 18 when he appears as a traveler, or in a fiery form such as we have before us. 
But the Lord appears in the bush Sena, very close to Sinai, maybe a wild acacia with a thorny trunk, rather small, and Moses decides to look and turn to this marvelous sight. Malachi 3.6, and I would encourage you maybe in your devotional time to read Malachi 3, but Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, Israel, you are not consumed. Think of the burning bush. I, the Lord, don't change. That's why you are still here. I was reading J. Vernon McGee, and he said, when's the last time you met a Midianite? But he said, the Jewish nation is still here. They've returned to the land in many of our lifetimes, recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. And it is a testimony of God's faithfulness to his promises to see us all the way home. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. Fire can be scary as long as it's you know, localized in your fireplace or in a fire pit, it's okay. But if it gets out of control, it can be scary. But fire also purifies. And I think maybe the message of the burning bush is, I'm gonna use fire to deliver my people and I know they're in the fire right now and they're gonna be delivered by my mighty, powerful hand Later, God will appear on Mount Sinai and come down in fire and smoke. Remember that? And it's going to be a scary thing, and people are going to be warned not even to touch the mountain. God is holy, and we're going to see that in a moment. And he appears, does the angel of the Lord, in the blazing fire. Maybe the closest verse to this is 2 Thessalonians 1.7. It says, The Lord is going to give relief to those who are afflicted, his church, and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in blazing fire, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. God is eternal. He's eternal light. His beauty never fades. That might be part of the message of the burning bush. I know my people are in the midst of the fire. I think that's another message of the burning bush. And I've come down to rescue them. Verse 3. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous, if you have an ESV, this great sight. NIV says, strange sight. Why the bush is not burned up. Now, God's got Moses' attention, but he, he looks and he says, why isn't this thing consumed? This is strange. And so he goes to the midst of it. And when the Lord or near it, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God, that's the Hebrew word Elohim, called to him. Now, notice we have the angel of the Lord is mentioned as being in the bush, but God called to Moses from the midst of the bush, so notice the close association, and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> Can you imagine? Why is that bush burning and not consumed? Moses, Moses, put your name there for a second. A double call of your name. That's when you know your mom's really mad at you. Or if your mother uses your middle name, you're in deep trouble. Michael, in my case, William. My mom was right on the front row. She can tell you. And then other commentary about my behavior, which we will not share publicly. <laughs> when I was a kid, okay? <laughs> but 
The double call of a name, Moses, Moses, scholars say is a way, a term of endearment. It means that God cares about Moses and loves him. And God knows your name. In fact, he calls us by name. And he is compassionate toward us. And I know uh, what comes to mind is a couple of double calls of Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. And even, remember this one, Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That double call of the name means that God knows us intimately, he cares about us, and he's calling us. And Moses replied, Yes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> here I the ancient way of saying this is here I am. <laughs> and he said, Don't come near five. Don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, God wanted Moses to come near and worship essentially means to draw near to God. You draw near to God, I will draw near to you. And Moses was drawn near. He saw the sight, he heard the call, but then he was stopped. Don't come any closer. Because God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does holiness mean? It means that God is separate. He's, it speaks of his aboveness. He made everything. He is separate and distinct from man and his creation. And this is a sign that sin is the problem. Moses can't get too close. Later, God will say to Moses, no one can look at my face and live. You can't. I will show you the, the back parts of my beauty, but you will not look on my face. And this is, what we, this is a problem we have as humanity. Is it the big, biggest longing for most of us as believers to see God's face? Isn't that what we want? I want to see him. Can you imagine getting to hug him? Can you imagine looking into his eyes and having him look into your eyes? Well, Moses was drawn, right? And he heard the call and he starts coming, but there's a problem. There's a separation. And what separates us from God is what? Sin. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, becomes the, literally the bridge. You could imagine a cross becoming the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. This is how we cross over. This is why one day we will be able to see his face when everything is redeemed and made right again. And we already have the down payment of that if you're a believer today. What made the ground holy? Was this a special mountain? Well, it was special in this sense that wherever God is, that place is holy. Moses is going to learn a lot about holiness later because he will be responsible to construct a tabernacle with holy priests and holy garments and a holy place and the holy of holies. I can go down the list of many things. Holy vestments, holy things used within the temple. Those uh, things in and of themselves weren't especially holy. But to be set apart for God's purposes is what makes you holy. And right now, you are, brethren, holy and beloved. Do you know why? Because you've been saved, you've been redeemed, and you've been set apart for God for his holy service. 
This is what holiness means. It means to be sanctified, set apart, just like the holy place would be, just like the, the priests and the various things used in the temple. The garments would be holy. All these things, and Moses may have learned a little bit about holiness from his father-in-law, Jethro. 1 Timothy 6, 14 through 16 says, You keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he will, what, which he will bring about at the proper time. Listen to this. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that's definitely Jesus, Revelation 19, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6.16. Whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God dwells in unapproachable light. And Moses is beginning to approach, and God says, that's far enough. Take your shoes off. You are on holy ground. Now, what's the deal of taking your shoes off? Please, nobody take your shoes off right now, okay? I know, I know this is holy ground, but it would become relatively unholy, perhaps. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. So in, 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 the, uh, in this culture, even today, taking off your shoes before you enter into a dwelling or a place of worship is still seen as a sign of honor. If a guest were to remove your sandals, for example, and wash your feet. That was a sign that the guest was showing you hospitality. And some believe that the message here is that Moses is wandering in the wilderness. He's a sojourner in a foreign land. And God has said, enter in. Let's let nothing come between us. Take the sandals off your feet. John the Baptist, when Jesus says, baptize me, he says, I'm not even unworthy to untie your sandals. You are holy. You existed before me. What we do know is that sometimes as we walk through this world, our shoes pick up dust. And maybe God is saying, I don't want anything defiling coming into my presence. The dust that you pick up from this world and walking through it, I, I want that separate. There's many different ways to take the message, but Moses is standing on holy ground. I want you to hold your place, and we're uh, winding down, but I want you to turn over to Joshua for a second, which is a little bit to your right. So the guy that will take the baton from Moses, Moses doesn't get to enter into the promised land, is a guy named Joshua, right? Same, uh, his Hebrew name is the same as Jesus, Joshua. Chapter 5. And as he leads the people of Israel into the promised land, he has this encounter. This is Joshua 5, 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. He was like Moses' right-hand man. He lifted up his eyes. Moses is now dead. And he looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries. Whose side are you on? And he said, no or neither. Rather, I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face, this mighty warrior, to the earth. He bowed down and said to him, what is my Lord to say to his servant? I'm listening, Lord. And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, 
Notice, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so and got his marching orders. I was listening to a couple pastors yesterday, and they're talking about current events. And uh, I've told you guys that Mike McClure of Calvary Chapel San Jose was facing another court date, and thankfully, the judge uh, removed the personal fines, did not give them, him and the youth pastor, jail time, gratefully, and is going to reduce some of the uh, fines, which have now reached $1.7 million against the church for having the doors of the church open to a hurting and broken uh, community. And Mike is a very soft-spoken pastor who just loves the Lord and is trying to preach the gospel. And the judge has asked him to comply with the orders to be outside, etc. And this pastor said, knowing Mike, he's going to be meeting right now this morning. And sometimes when we look at politics or the world, we say, we pray. And many of you prayed. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. And we say, okay, Lord, you're on our side, right? You're the captain of the Lord of the host. We, got a, we had a yes over here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. You're on our side. We've been praying. We've been doing everything right. I even skipped lunch today to pray. Whoa. I fasted for two hours. <laughs> You're on our side. And then the Lord says, nope. Say what? <laughs> no, I'm on neither side. It's not about me being on your side, Joshua or Moses. It's about you being on my side. My timing, my ways, my purposes, my eternal uh, things I want to accomplish is what I'm about. It's not about me getting on your side. It's about you getting on my side. This is what it means to call Jesus your Lord and your shepherd, amen? Are you on his side? Or are you trying to strong arm God to a certain side? That's not what he wants. Now we, we fight and we try to do the right thing as salt and light in our world. And certainly we should do that. But in the end, are we willing to say, Lord, you're on the throne and your will be done? And so God identifies himself from the bush. He says to Moses, I am the God of your father. Because Moses had to be thinking, well, who is it that's talking to me? Let's go back to Exodus. I'm sorry, I had you in Joshua. He says, I am the God of your father. That may be Moses' actual dad, Amram, or... The patriarchs could be either way. But then he says, the God of Abraham, the covenant God, right? Abraham was the first that God called and selected for this nation. The God of Isaac, his son, the God of Jacob, who became Israel. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I think Moses knew something about God's holiness and even in Genesis, when Jacob experiences God, he says, I've seen God face to face. That's an idiom. I've been in his presence and I, I'm still alive. 
Manoah uh, and his wife, who would birth Samson miraculously, said the same thing. We've seen God and he's allowed us to live. There's this sense of holiness in the presence of God. God is holy. Do we understand that? He spoke the universe into existence. He is to be treated with reverence and honor. Yes, he has come down to be our companion, our help, our friend even. But he is holy. And there's only one way that we can cross over, if you will, and it's through Christ. We're going to wrap it up here, but I want to tell you that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus referenced Exodus 3. And he was getting grilled with a bunch of questions, and the Sadducees told a story about this, uh, this woman who was married to seven different men. And each man died after eating his oatmeal. That's a loose, loose translation. Just kidding. And I would have questions when husband number four dropped dead, right? That's like, what's in the toast? I'd have people checking my food. But anyway. And so she, she marries seven different men. And the Sadducees, shooting questions at Jesus, Mark 12, say, okay, in the resurrection, who's she married to? <laughs> you went out to resurrection. <laughs> and Jesus said, you're greatly mistaken. You don't know the word of God, and you don't know the power of the word. And by implication, you don't know the God of the word. In the resurrection, they're neither married nor given in marriage, but they become like the angels. Don't you know... The story of the burning bush. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Everyone who has died in Christ is alive right now. Jesus Christ confirmed that. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the Living, It's remarkable to me that Jesus referred to this exchange in Exodus 3 to affirm that we are going to live. Your loved ones will continue to live in Christ in the presence of God. We're going to go to be with them and the Lord. A great reunion day is coming. The gospel is not just about now. It's about then as well. It's about eternal life, which is quality and quantity. Amen? God is the God of the living. Jesus said that. Jesus said there will be a resurrection. And Moses is sitting before the angel of the Lord. And essentially, I think God may be saying something like this. Israel's not dead. You've been away for 40 years, and you may be wondering if they've made it. You may be wondering if... Israel has survived. If I will be true to my covenant promises, let me tell you something, Moses. They live, and you're about to go get them. Say, what? <laughs> I'm so impressed by you. I thought you would do it all, Lord. This is for next Sunday. You're going to go get the people. You came down to deliver them, right? No, I'm going to send you. Oh, Lord, here I am. Send him. Oh, Lord, here I am. Send her. I'll give a check for the missionary. Yes. And God says to Moses, no, you are going to go. 
but I'm comfortable in Midian, man. I got it going on as a shepherd. I just started to figure this out. No, you're going, and I will be with you. That's next week. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that the verses that lead on from here tell us that you have seen the affliction of your people, and you're about to do something amazing. And as we move on in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that the amazing thing that you're going to do is you're going to use Moses and Aaron, plagues, and ultimately bring your people to freedom. And this is the story of the gospel. We are in slavery in our sin under the taskmasters of things that we often create ourselves, building cities for the Pharaoh who is a picture of Satan. And you know our pain. And there are times when we cry out, Father, and we wonder sometimes if you hear us and we might even wonder if you care. And this is one section of scripture that tells us that you care when we're feeling the fire, you come into the midst of our pain. Jesus entered into our pain. Thank you for that, Lord. You said to your followers, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And we're about to see Moses used by God to bring freedom to a people that were in bondage. And this story is our story. This Exodus story is the story of our salvation. And I, I pray that as we think about the book of Exodus, we will be just in awe of how it connects to our own journey. And you don't just save us from something, you save us to something. We're saved from our sin, from death, but we are saved to your promises, to all that's ahead that we can't even really begin to imagine all that you have for us, Lord. But we are so humbled and so grateful. Would you keep your head and heart bowed just for a moment? And I want to ask you, if you have not met Jesus, if you've not met the Passover lamb as your Lord and Savior, Maybe you found yourself in a wilderness place and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? Maybe you've had a few defining moments that God's been speaking to you, trying to get your attention. Maybe we could put it this way. I love you. I know you by name. I'm calling you to myself. Take off your sandals Begin to walk with me the way I would have you to walk. If you've not met Jesus or you need to recommit your life to him, this would be the time. Something this simple, but yet very important and profound. And I'm going to encourage you to say it after me if you haven't done this before. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you came into this broken world on a rescue mission. Thank you that you lived a perfect life that I could never live. Thank you that you died on the cross for me, demonstrating your love. Thank you that you rose from the dead to defeat death and to set me free. I want to follow you. Be my Lord, be my shepherd, be my king. Father, thank you for all the precious children that are with us today. I thank you for their Sunday school teachers and for the youth and the youth staff and the fact that they're getting ready to serve today. 
This is a wonderful community of believers. Thank you for blessing it, Lord. Would you keep everybody strong and healthy and bless our time together as we get a chance to fellowship and to enjoy one another's company. It's been a long time for a lot of people to just be in a setting like this and maybe even to experience some fellowship and some food. And I pray you'd bless and just keep everybody safe. And those who may have loved ones who are not doing well, Maybe there's a physical thing going on, a sickness. I, I pray your mercy upon each one. Lord, those who are going through some emotional stuff right now, maybe lots of burdens on their shoulders, would you lift those burdens with the hope that we have in Christ? And once again, I just want to thank you for the wonderful church family here at Living Truth. It's a blessing to be part of what you're doing. Would you continue to be glorified in our midst? We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said aloud, amen. amen.